Welcome to an inspiring message from Pastor John Cameron, lead pastor of Arise Church in New Zealand. We know this message will encourage, inspire, and empower you. Today, to launch this series, I want to preach a message to you that I've entitled, What's So Special About a House? What's so special about a house? This is something that you and I are going to have to understand if we're going to grasp the New Testament, if we're going to understand the Bible, if we're going to appreciate our relationship as believers, not only just with a solitary relationship that we have with God, but our interconnected relationship as believers, as we attempt to live the life that God has for us. What's so special about a house? One moment, understanding the power of a house changed the life of Jacob forever in the book of Genesis. And I believe that this moment in your life has the power to change your life forever. I want your expectation high. I want you ready because the truth is, my friends, if we don't understand the power of a house, what's so special about this house? What's so special about this house? If you have a Bible, we're going to go to Matthew chapter 22, start reading in verse 36. If you don't have a Bible, it's going to pop up on the screen. Matthew 22, verse 36, Jesus is, is being asked the question, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Another gospel also adds, and with all your strength. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang, hang on these two commandments. Next passage, we're going to do three. Next one is in Matthew 21. Just turn over one page. Matthew 21, verse 12. Jesus entered the temple area and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, He said to them, My house, my house will be called a house of prayer. But you are making it a den of robbers. Now, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 23, we're going to read it from the message translation. It says, the church you see is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. The church is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. The church is Christ's body. The church is Christ's body in which He speaks and acts and by which He fills everything with His presence. I want to read that one more time. The church is Christ's body in which He speaks and acts. It's how He communicates. It's how He does things. It's how He, how he gets the message out. It's how He gets the movement out. And the church is the vessel by which He fills everything with His presence. Lord, today, as we consider this question, what's so special about this house? I pray You would help us to understand the vision You have, the passion You have, the dream You have for Your house. In Jesus' name, 
And everybody said, Amen and Amen. Jesus has a vision for His house. When we think about the church, we are not just thinking about anybody's building. The church doesn't belong to John. Arise Church doesn't belong to our board or leadership team. Arise Church is Jesus' church. It is God's house. And if there is one thing we need to know about our God is that Jesus has a vision for His house. I mean, here in Matthew chapter 21, one of our three readings, we've got Jesus entering what is described as the temple area. In other words, Jesus is rocking up in His Old Testament house. And when Jesus arrives, He is confronted by what He sees and the display of emotion that we see from Jesus in this one moment is unparalleled in all of the Gospels. I mean, in this passage of Scripture, we've got Jesus angry. In this passage of Scripture, if we can be honest, we've got Jesus violent. Jesus is literally driving people out. He's messing the joint up. He's overturning tables. He's wrecking benches. He's driving people out. He's forbidding people from moving. Jesus is fired up. He is passionate. He is emotional. He is angry. He is enraged. And when we dive beneath the display of emotion that we see coming from Jesus and ask ourselves the question, why? then we find this, this solution to our question in what Jesus said. He said, my house will be called the house of prayer. He walks into his house, sees a whole lot of activity. He sees people behaving in a way that doesn't line up with the vision and the dream that he has on the inside of him. Jesus is saying, you guys are hanging out and behaving one way, but I've got a vision that looks completely different to this. He said, my house should be called this. My house should be spoken of this way. My house should look like this, and what you're doing doesn't resemble my picture. He's saying, I have a vision for my house. Now notice that what Jesus said in our passage today also goes a step further because he said, my house will be called, will be called. And if there's one thing you need to know about our God is that when our God speaks, he always fulfills his word. God never ever said anything and he didn't fulfill what he promised he would do. Isaiah 55, 11 says, it is the same with my word. I send it out and it always produces fruit. It will accomplish all I want it to and it will prosper. God's word will prosper everywhere that I send it. You can understand that. God just doesn't communicate. God sends his word. When he speaks, it is power. It is life. That's why when God said about you, I know the plans that I have for you to prosper you and not to harm you, you don't just hear that and get a little encouragement. You hear that and get an assurance. Because whatever God said, He will never take back His Word, but His Word will prosper everywhere that He sends it. God fulfills His Word. Come on, give God some praise because it doesn't matter what's going on in my life. God is going to prosper me, bless me. He's going to be with me. My story hasn't finished. Come on, somebody put some praise hands in your chat on the Arise Online 
because I believe God's got something amazing. And the same God that said, I will fulfill my word, said to you and me, I will build my church. Jesus, the word, John 1 tells us, spoke in Matthew 16, 18. And he said, I will build my church and the power of hell will not conquer it. I will build my church and no demon in hell will stop it. So we're learning today that firstly, Jesus has a vision for his church. He said that he would build his church. He said that that church is his church, not mine or yours. And the next thing that we discover about the church is that Jesus died for the church. When Jesus died upon a cross, he died to birth the church. Ephesians 1.23, we read it out today. It says that Jesus is the center of the world. He is the center of everything. If you read back in, in Ephesians 1, that's what you're going to read. And then he said that the church is the next concentric entity in our world today. That Jesus is the center of everything. You know the song? Jesus at the center of it all. You'd rather I preach than I sing, but there you go. That bit was free. The Jesus is at the center. The next concentric circle is the church. Then he said the world is peripheral to the church. In the concentric circles of priority, we got Jesus, the church, and then the world. And most people don't think of it like that. The church is central to all of God's plan, and the church is central to the world because it is through the church that God speaks and acts. Jesus has returned to the Father, and now the vehicle through which God communicates is the church. Which means that for you and me, not only does Jesus have a vision for the church, but for you and I, we have to understand that there is something incredibly powerful about the church. That you and I are not called to be spectators of the church. Armchair critics of the church. That we are the church. And together we are called to play a role in the building of God's church. Because without the church, God has no arms and legs. Without the church, God has no mouth. Hello? I mean, we have the Word, but for a person in my neighborhood to know of the Word, to even understand the Bible is real, they need me to open up my mouth. They need you and I to be the church. That's why the church is so incredibly powerful because Jesus died to give birth to it and God has a plan for it and it is through the church that God speaks and He acts. In Matthew chapter 22, we discover the power of the church in a question that Jesus was asked about the greatest commandment. The question that Jesus was asked is which is the greatest commandment? What I love about it is it wasn't even a wisdom-seeking question. <laughs> The people who asked the question didn't want to learn from Jesus. They wanted to find a basis of accusation against Jesus. They wanted to prove him a heretic, a fraud. And so they asked him a question, not that they might draw closer to God, but that they might expose a flaw in Jesus. But Jesus again shows us his wisdom. I love the Gospels because every time you read the Gospels, you discover that God never messes up. Jesus walked on a razor's edge, and yet not one thing he said ever contradicted the truth of God's word 
or confounded what God wanted us to know about who he was. He, he never dated himself in terms of time. He never, he never limited himself. He never spoke to an old covenant when he was bringing a new. And here, Jesus has asked a question that was only poised so that people could tear him down. What is the greatest commandment? And Jesus answered by saying, well, here it is. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. I don't have time, but it's an obscure verse, by the way. That is a quote from a sermon that Moses preached before he died from Deuteronomy chapter 6. It's not even a major theme of the Bible. And Jesus plucks out an introductory comment to say, Moses knew something that you guys don't. This is the greatest summary of what God wants you to know. Love God. Love God with everything that you are. That's the first commandment. And then he said, and the second commandment is like it. Now, when you hear those words like it, in the original Greek that the Bible was written in, the, the uh, New King James Bible says like unto it. That's actually a better translation. Like unto, because literally in the original trans, the original Greek that the Bible was written in, the word like or like it or like unto it literally means to be inextricably linked to or inseparable from. So what Jesus is saying is you're trying to put me in a box because you want me to go left when really it has to be left and right. You want me to go one way when really there's more to it. And he's saying, you're trying to make me go to one commandment so that I miss something out. But I can give you in two summaries everything you need to know. He said the two halves of the whole are love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as you love yourself. Love God and love people. When you do those things together, you are right there understanding the fullness of what God wants you to know. In giving us these two commandments, Jesus pointed to the two greatest problems in our world today. Our first problem is that we're disconnected from God. And our second problem is that we just can't stay connected to each other. The two greatest problems of our world. If you are watching this today and right now, you don't have your own relationship with Jesus I don't even know if I can explain for you the depth and the magnitude of change that is going to come into your life only through discovering a personal relationship with the God who created you. Before I knew Jesus, my life was lost, broken, in the weeds, without direction, struggling, filled with fear, questioning identity. And the moment that Jesus came into my life, the moment I went from being disconnected with God to connected with God, my life discovered purpose. My dreams come alive. I realized I wasn't a reject, but that I was designed by a loving God. God fit me together for a reason. I have a purpose, and I want you to know that God loves you, called you, has a plan for you, has a dream for you, cares about you, died on a cross for you. The greatest need in our lives is to be connected with the God who loves us. But here's the second thing that we need if the world is going to be as God intended. We can't be just fragmented and distanced from each other. We can't just be in bitterness towards everybody else. Our world is alive right now with the, one of the greatest bitterness curses in our world, racism. And where this all stems from is a lack of understanding this commandment. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. 
the two greatest challenges in the world. And Jesus is saying, what I want for you is I want you firstly connected to a personal relationship with God. Because God is not just a, a benign being or a person, uh, uh, an entity without a personality. God anchors His reality in this one statement, God is love. So when I become connected to God, I become connected to the source of love. Because here's the problem. Some of us are trying to live lives of love, but we run out of it. I try to love my wife, but eventually if things aren't going well, you can run out of love. And if I'm trying to get love from my human relationships, then my human relationships will never be as God wanted. So what do I do? I connect with the God who is love. Because what He is, He doesn't run out of. So the first commandment helps me to connect with God because now I'm getting my love, not from you, but from Him. And because I'm getting my love from Him, it's a source in my life that'll never run dry. So then when I look at people that are in my world, my wife, my children, my neighbor, the people that are in need, the problems that are in our world, I have a source of love that then compels me and empowers me to love the others, the neighbors that are in my life and relationships hold together when Jesus is at the center of a life. Because now we don't run out of love. We have the love that we need and then we can live that love to the people that are around us. So Jesus said, here's everything you need to know. Get connected with God and get connected with one another. What's that got to do with the church? What that's got to do with the church is the the thing that Jesus said next. Because at the end of it, he said, all the law and the prophets are not summarized in these two commandments. If he had said that, that would have been true and powerful. But Jesus, in this privately positioned and publicly presented question intended only to pull our Savior down, gives us an amazing prophecy in his answer. He said, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. They hang on them. They hang on them. All the law and the prophets is the entire Old Testament. When, you were, when Jesus said this out loud, what you knew as the Bible was the law and the prophets. And Jesus was saying every righteous requirement of the law, every demand that God has ever been placed, somehow is going to now be, and he said, all the law and the prophets hang, hang. This word hang is only used in Scripture three times. Did you know that? It's it's used in Luke chapter 24 in reference to the fact that there were two thieves that hung on crosses on either side of Jesus. The, The next time is in the book of Acts where the Bible tells us that our Savior was hung upon a tree. And the third time that it's used is right here. The other two occasions it's used are explicitly in mentioning the cross. And I put it to you that this reference is no exception either. The first of these commandments pulls us vertical. The second of these commandments pulls us outward horizontal to one another. And Jesus said, when I go to the cross, when I die upon the cross... Up until this moment, there had been a barrier between us and God. We could not get an open, honest relationship with God before the sacrifice of Jesus because our sin couldn't stand in God's presence. 
Only a high priest with a bell on his foot could go behind a curtain once a year. But now because of the blood of Jesus, when I'm in difficulty, trial, when all hell is breaking loose in my life, the Bible says I can come boldly before the throne of grace to find strength in my hour of need. I need you to give God some praise. Put thank you, Jesus, in your chat. Because Jesus opened up the way for you and me to have a relationship back with God. Without Jesus, there would no, be no love. But because He died, we've got that love back. And then He said, not only that, but because you've now got your fundamental need met by your Savior. You can now find the power that you need to reconcile the relationships that are around you. So the Bible says one of the most holy sacraments of our faith is communion. And so the New Testament tells us, Jesus told us, before you ever come to give your gift in the altar, and then it comes up again when the, when, in, in the book of Corinthians, talking specifically about communion. But I want to go to Jesus. Jesus said, before you ever come and bring a sacrifice to the altar, first go and be reconciled to your brother. So the communion of our faith brings us back to the fact that to love God wholeheartedly, I have to love people fervently. What our world needs is relationships to be restored. And the only way they get restored is when this one gets restored. And what that has to do with the church, it is that the church is Christ's body. I was going to call this message, You and Me Makes Three. Because when two people get together under the name of Jesus, he said, there I am in the midst of you. And the power of the church is that when the church is being the church, we come together and we access the God of the universe and his presence comes into our lives. As his presence comes into our lives, we then are filled with his love and hope in us. And then we begin to not view people around us the same way. You can't get connected to God without being changed in the way that you view your connections with other people. You can't love God more without loving other people more. You can't care more about Him, be more connected to Him without having a deeper affinity to the world that is around you. That's why in New Zealand, I don't have international stats, but in New Zealand, something like 85% of all child sponsorships come from Christians. And the reason for that is because it's impossible to love God deeply without loving other people fervently. And that's why the church is so powerful, my friend, because the church is the place where the power of the cross is daily and weekly accessed by believers who then begin to play not a selfish role in their society, but a meaningful one. Not a me, myself, and I lifestyle, but a me, myself, and they lifestyle. And we begin to make a difference in the world that is around us. That's why the church is God's plan. Because the church is where the power of the cross is accessed by people. Where eternal life is found, where second chances are given, where reconciliation takes place, where purpose is discovered. Where dysfunction is surrounded by function. And we've got to make sure that we understand the power of the church. It's too easy to get cynical about the church. Too many people are cynical about the church. They point out faults, flaws, failings, imperfections, leaders who aren't all there looking at one. 
The miracle of the church is not that the church is flawed. It should be of no surprise to anybody to discover that the church is flawed. The miracle is not the flaw of the church. The miracle is the fact that the church is built at all. Because all God's got to use to build His church is imperfect, flawed, and sinful people with needs and brokenness and pain and selfishness and pride. And yet in spite of it all, the miracle is in the fact that this flawed vessel keeps being built, keeps moving forward, keeps changing lives. I don't want to look at the faults and the failings and say that is the reason why we shouldn't believe in the church. I look at the faults and the failings and I am dumbfounded that it works at all. Yet the church works not because I'm a good leader, but because it's God's plan. If you want a, a, a knowledge of the miracle of the church, just look at me. I mean, God chose me to be a leader in His church. I have white, pink, and fluoro pink skin. That's it. I have never been good at anything else in my life ever. I left school at the age of 15. Before my 16th birthday, I was already working full time. That's the end of my education. My 16-year-old daughter has been in school longer than I ever was, which she likes to tell me all the time. <laughs> You're such a good leader. You have no idea. I have to reset in conversation about every 30 seconds intentionally. It's a habit that I've developed in my life because I can't focus. My mind goes off and my mind goes here and my mind goes there. And still God uses me. That's the power of the church. That a one-talent guy with pink, white, pink, fluoro, pink skin, no education and no attention span could be used to build the church is evidence of the fact that when the church is being established, it's not by the might of man, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Most High God. The church is God's plan. And here's my final point as my keyboardist comes to join me. The church exists for God's purpose. It exists for God's purpose. I want you to understand Jesus died for it. The only plan God has to move in the world is the church. The church is the greatest miracle in the world. And the church exists for God's purpose. What's God's purpose? John 3, 16. That none would perish, but all would inherit eternal life. God gave His Son, not for some, but that none. None would perish. None would perish. No soul would go to hell, but all would go to heaven. That's God's purpose for the church. And when the church thrives is when the church exists for God's purpose. And when the church declines is when it exists for our purpose. When personal preference, liking a certain group of people. We've had people come to a rise church who've said, I don't know if I want to keep coming to this church because it's too big. I like to just say to them straight up, I'll say to them in the foyer, if they ever say that to me, I'll say them straight up, you're going to hate heaven. You're going to hate heaven. Too big. Too big. You don't ever want to go to a church whose vision is to be small. 
You don't ever want to be a Christian whose goal is that you would have an intimate circle of friends that never changes, and that would be your church. That's selfishness. Jesus didn't die on a cross just to give you a comfortable lifestyle. He gave you, He died on the cross so you would have your needs met by God and then you could meet the needs of the world. That's what Jesus wants for the church. And I want to stir everybody here today to understand that Jesus has a vision for His, his house. What's so special about this house? What's so special about this house is that it's God's house. It's Jesus' house. And whether you're in a local, whether you're somewhere online, we're all the church. Let me take a moment today. I want to speak to everybody who's part of an Arise family who's in a city where Arise has church services, but you're just making a decision just to watch church online when you're physically capable of coming to church. Just staying at home for you might be comfortable and convenient, but coming to church and playing a role, your role in coming to church might be walking in the doors of the church on a Sunday morning and doing exactly what Jesus does. Don't look at the 99. Look at the one. Every week in Arise campuses, over 100 people say yes to a personal relationship with Jesus. And your assignment could be one of those 100. But if you just watch church online, the danger is you increasingly become a disconnected believer when God wants you to be connected. Now, I know that doesn't apply to all, but I want to give that challenge to some. And today, I want to pray for you because this is the church and Jesus is moving. And he loves you. Let's pray together. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you. But what's so special about this house is only you. There's nothing else special. Nothing else, nothing, nothing particularly brilliant about our preaching or our lights or our activities, but you're here. And that makes all the difference in the world. And Jesus, I pray that you would help us. You awaken Jacob in Genesis 37, and I pray you'd awaken us. Joseph's, Jacob, yeah. I pray you'd awaken us to understand the power of your church. Jesus, God, breathe upon your church. I pray for this offering in three weeks' time that when we receive it, you would bless it. Some people are in need, they are in lack. I understand that, and I pray you provide for them. But for those who right now could contribute to this offering, I do pray, Lord, that you would open our hearts to, your, to you and that you would speak to us. Guide us in our giving illuminate our giving, that we could make a difference in this world beyond our own personal comfort and convenience. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would like to find out more about Arise Church and Pastor John Cameron, visit arisechurch.com or connect with us on Instagram at arisechurch and at johncameronnz.